0: How we doing? Thanks, Glenn. Was that, Glenn? I got one good morning from somebody. I appreciate that. Get your Bibles, grab them, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, we'll be looking at the first six verses. Let me just uh, read that, and then we'll get into it. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as not to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Let's just bow one more time. Father, we love your word, and we thank you for being so good to us that you are willing to speak to your creation through this book and by your spirit. And we ask, Father, that you would now open the eyes of our heart, that we could see wonderful things from your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So how many of you guys are familiar with the Enneagram? Do you know what the enneagram is? Anybody? Kind of, sorta. It's a new kind of uh, hip, faddish personality test that everybody's taken. And there's like supposedly like nine different personality types. Um, and uh, so you know you might see a lot on like Facebook or Instagram. Like I'm a three with a four wing, or I'm a I'm a seven, you know, with a six, or whatever and um, these different personalities. And personality tests are like, you know, whether it's Myers-Briggs or DISC or whatever it is, like they're, they're helpful to, to a degree. I like them. They're kind of, they're just kind of fun. I don't think you should hold them, hold them too tightly. But anyway, as uh, I started doing pre-marriage counseling with a couple a while back, and I started working in uh, the Enneagram as just part of, a little part of what we do in our um, pre-marriage counseling, just so that they kind of have an understanding of where uh, their personalities are at and where they're kind of wired namely for the sake of communication so that they can learn throughout the course of their marriage uh, To communicate with one another and kind of understand a little bit of what tends to motivate Each one at a core level and so this couple that I was doing this with the other week I, I sent it to him during the week and they did it and then we I got together with them Friday morning And we took it and as we began to I asked them what they were after they took the test And the the guy the the husband-to-be said that he was an eight which was cool because I'm also an eight. So it was, so the eight, for those of you who don't know, the eight is the challenger. The eight is the person um, who I think the textbook definition is something very close to this is that uh, we seek to control and dominate every situation we are in for the sake of not having to reveal any sort of weakness <laughs> in us. Um, so just kind of, you know, you're like, ooh, is that. Is that, is that true of me? But yeah, it probably, it probably is true. Anyway, but so this guy was an eight. So we were just, we were just talking, talking about this. And then uh, one of the things that I said, because I was just kind of summing up kind of the way eights, how we tend to roll. And, and I said, yeah, you know, as eights, I said, if, if there's a game and we know we can't win, then we won't play. Like we only play games we can win. So like every year around the holidays, on, at some family get-together somewhere, somebody, there's going to be a group of people playing Dutch Blitz. And I refuse to play Dutch Blitz because I have never won a game of Dutch Blitz in my, in my entire life. Um, I do not like Dutch Blitz. Anyway, let that be stated for the record. Anyway, uh, but as I was, I was thinking about that, and it doesn't matter if you're an eight, just because all of us are sinful and because we're all human, there are certain areas of life that we do not like to engage in. We don't want to play because we know we can't win, and so we tend to avoid those areas because we don't want our weakness to be exposed, and that's true no matter, what, no matter what your personality is, and I think that there's probably more than this, but at least three of those things that we tend to avoid at all costs, Peter lists for us in this passage that we just read this morning, and those things are suffering, sin, and judgment, suffering Sin and judgment, we avoid them at all costs, don't we? Like we, if you take the time to examine your life, much of what you do in this life is try to avoid suffering or pain at all costs, okay? You'll do, we will spend money, we'll do whatever we have to do to try to avoid it. Sin, we just don't like to really talk about it. It's why we stuff it. It's why we're afraid to bring it into the light because we want to avoid it because we don't want to feel vulnerable. Uh, We don't know... How to conquer it and judgment. Judgment. The Bible says that God has placed eternity into the hearts, into the hearts of men. It's in Ecclesiastes. And I believe that what He's talking about is that deep down inside, every single person, they can deny it all they want, it doesn't matter. You know that there's something coming at death. You know there's something coming. Um, and all of us, I believe, deep down inside, know. That there's that there's a judgment coming, but we do not want to think about it. We don't want to engage in that conversation. We don't, we don't want to play that game. And so again, we live our lives trying to numb ourselves with the anesthetic of whatever comfort or pleasure we can find so that we don't have to think about it because we know it's coming and we don't and we don't want to face it. Suffering, sin, and judgment, and the good news of what Jesus Christ has done is that even though these are areas that we try to avoid and games that we don't want to play, the good news of what Jesus Christ offers us is that it it is precisely in each one of these areas that we try to avoid that we can have victory. That That we are, as the Bible says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and called us to himself. And so what I want to look at this morning in this passage is I believe that Peter is explaining to us how Jesus gives us victory in each one of these areas. And so I want to talk about how Jesus gives us victory over suffering, how he gives us victory over sin, and how he gives us victory over judgment. And so that's what we're going to look at, okay? First of all, how Jesus gives us victory over suffering. Look at verse one. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. This has been the theme throughout this book right from beginning to end it's been suffering 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 but it's doing something there's a purpose in it and the first way that that jesus um gives us victory through what he's done for us is that when we face suffering we don't have to be afraid of it because guys it's not going to last forever there's something coming on the other side of it. I don't care if it's cancer or criticism or if it's persecution or people maligning you or slandering you. As Peter has repeated over and over again throughout the book, that's much of what his original uh, readers and hearers were dealing with, was people slandering them, talking bad about them. Some of it had ended in, phys- in physical violence um, or kind of culminated in that. But it does not matter what the suffering is. As a Christian, you can know that it is not going to last forever and that God In the end, has a purpose for it. Now, you remember, if you look back at the very last verse of chapter three, where we were a couple weeks ago, he talks about the suffering that Christ that Christ underwent all the way back in verse 18. He says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And then he kind of goes on this little tangent about Noah, and we looked at that last week. But then he comes back around in verse 22, the verse right before chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, But Jesus, speaking of Christ again, who has gone into the heavens and is at the right hand of God, with angels and authorities and powers, having been subjected to him. That when we look at Christ's life and we look at the example that he gave us, that he went through this suffering, but it was not meaningless. There was a purpose in it it did not last forever and it ended in victory and folks no matter what you're going through this morning if you know jesus christ is your savior it is not going to last forever and in the end it is going to end in victory yes someday forever in heaven that is the ultimate victory sin satan sin it will all be eradicated it will be put away from the, like the very presence of it will not be there anymore but even in this life guys There is something that God is working in the midst of your suffering where he wants to give you a very real, tangible authority that is from him that as you identify with Christ, as you identify with the sufferings of Christ, as you actually try to live a life of discipleship, disciple means learner, follower, that we're trying to be like Jesus, that we're trying to have the dust of the rabbi come upon us, that we're trying to step right where he steps, to go where he's going. He's trying to lead us in the same path that he walked, which was one of taking up his cross, which was one of suffering, but it was for a purpose that God might give us a very real authority as we're going through it. I don't want to be presumptuous or or light or surfacy at all. But you know, we prayed for Tracy a little bit ago in the cancer that she's going through. I don't know what all God wants to work, but I know that one of the things he does want to work is a deeper authority in her life. That when she now goes through this cancer, she's going to be able to speak of this on the back side in a way she wasn't able to speak to it on the front side. You follow me? So once you go through something, it's, the old school word is gravitas. You guys have heard me talk about this before, that the Lord, like his word is true. It's his, it's his promises. It's faith in him and who he is. And he's won all the victory. He's done all that. But guys, he wants to take us into his life. He wants to live his life through us. And for some reason, we're just convinced that even though he went to the cross, that we don't have to. And it's a lie. I'm sorry, it's a lie. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his what? His cross, his cross, and follow me. But it's not meaningless. It's not It's not for more, for no purpose. And what Peter says here is he says, arm yourselves, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking or with this mindset. Now this is, if you, you know, this is like one of the things I do is I study the text each week as I go through and I just simply underline, it's like an English class, you know, I underline the verbs in a certain color and I underline, you know, the commands in a certain color and I underline the promises in a certain color. And as you do that, this is, this is about, like there's other implication, commands by implication, but this is the only direct command in this passage. Is what does Peter intend for us? To, he intends for us to get this mindset. He intends for us to arm ourselves by putting on this same mind, which was also in Christ, with the same, with the same way of thinking, to be ready Jesus did the same thing and again it's interesting uh, one of the things I love about studying 1 Peter is that you know it's written by Peter and we have so much information about Peter in the gospels in his life and you know that Peter would have been there in the upper room on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed just hours before he was arrested and then crucified in John chapter 16 Peter would have heard Jesus say these words he says I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace He's, and Jesus said this in the world you will have trouble you will have tribulation but take heart. I have overcome the world. Guys, we we ha- we can't please we cannot be simplistic any longer. We can't be simplistic. We can't just say, "Well, if I'm if I'm living right, then everything's going to go right." Or if I'm living wrong, then everything's everything's going to go wrong." I mean, yeah, don't don't live wrong, but hey, man, God God makes the sun to shine on the evil and and the righteous. I can't his grace is amazing. And I don't always understand it. Why he blesses those that I think That he should deal with but here's the two things we have to hold together in duality is that in this world you will have trouble but at the same time that we take heart because he's overcome the world he's overcome it guys and he wants us to arm ourselves with this mindset and so just to say it the opposite way if we don't have this mindset we are exposed we are naked. We are not armed. One of the reasons that Hitler and the German army at the beginning of World War II were able to take over much of Europe very, very, very quickly was they would use, I'm sure you guys have heard of this, they would use this attack called the Blitzkrieg. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it has something to do with like, light, means lightning or lightning attack or something like that. But they would just come in and poof, out of nowhere, they would just put all their forces. Into one town or one city or one, one country or one area and and overtake it um, and eventually though that ran out because uh, the allies they, they became ready. they knew that this was the way it worked that they could strike out of nowhere and so they were they were ready at all times and began and began to push it back. guys, whether it's demonic, whether it's Satan or whether it's just suffering in this world, but yet I would argue that behind it all really is the devil, trying to use it one way or the other. Um, We got to be ready. The devil runs the blitzkrieg. (laughs) He likes to come in out of nowhere, and we as disciples, listen, it's difficult, and there's not a one of us that hasn't been wounded in battle before because we haven't been ready. Like, we've we've all been there, but what the Word of God gives us, what Jesus provides for us and the reason he gives us victory over the suffering is that he tells us, be ready. Be ready. So one of the things we like to do in our, in our house, well um, I say like to do, we never plan it, but we're all into scaring each other. Um, oh yeah, it's a blast. You should try it sometime. Mainly me and the boys, you know, but it's like, if I can sneak up, you know, on one of them, there's nothing that I love more than, you know, they don't hear me coming and I'm like, Poof! And I grab, you know, and they jump, jump, jump through the ceiling. Um, Nobody ever gets me because I'm always, I'm always alert. Um, That's not true. Sometimes, sometimes they get me. But, but here's the deal. Here's here's the good news of what Jesus is doing for us. He's saying, "Be ready. Be on your guard." See, they can try to hide, no, no matter, even if I don't know where they're coming from, even if I don't know if they're in the closet or if they're around the corner, but if I know that it's coming, they're not going to scare me. I'm going to always be ready. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm, he, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, in this life you will have much trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so be ready, be ready this morning. Your suffering um, is not meaningless. It is not purposeless. Um, and the other way that it helps us to, uh, that Jesus helps us to overcome this, is if you look in the text, I just don't want to miss this because this is, this is big. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, verse 1, for whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, it's an interesting phrase, because, and it takes some interpretation because um, he's not saying that we will literally be sinless. We will always be battling Satan, sin, and fear of death in this life. That's why we must live by faith and not by sight, and it's our faith that it gives us the victory that, over, that overcomes the world. Um, but he's saying here that part of what suffering does, another reason suffering is good news and Jesus gives us victory over it, is that it causes us to have this this clean break in some way from sin. If I had to just sum it up in my own words, just as far as what I think Peter is, is trying to get across to us here, when you guys go through difficulty, anybody ever been through difficulty? Just a trying season? Yeah? It causes you to think about what's really important. It causes you to count the cost. It causes you to take inventory of your life. And to decide whether or not um, you're really living all in for Jesus or whether you're not. And so he goes on here and he says, because when we suffer, he ceased from sin, verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the passion, I'm sorry, no longer for human passions, but for what? But for the will of God. That when you go through difficulty, difficulty, it causes you to take inventory and say, you know what? There's only one thing in this life that matters. And that is living for Jesus Christ. You know, there's an old little cliche or part of a poem or rhyme or something. I don't know what it, where it comes from. It just says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's it. And we all know that growing up in the church, but, um, but we forget about it and other things and other things take take priority and in our fight against sin sometimes it will cause us to engage suffering and uh to overcome it and to take stock of where we're really at and if we're living all in for jesus again i think about peter's life and what he would have heard jesus say and i love this this in uh, luke chapter 10 he's getting ready to send them out send out the 70 as missionaries and think about these encouraging words, okay? So they're kind of having this, Jesus is having a commissioning service, sending them out. And he says, go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What? Thank you? What, what, what do you mean, Jesus? Sheep are like popcorn to wolves, you know? I mean, there's just like nothing you can do. Um, but Jesus, again, guys, he never pulled any punches, this isn't in the fine print the suffering thing it's not in the fine print of the Bible he says it straight up over and over and over again and he does it so that we will walk in dependence upon him Um, that if dependence is the goal then weakness is the advantage again I'm not sure who that's original with either but, but I like that if dependence is the goal then weakness is the advantage and nothing brings weakness into our life like suffering and like difficulty And so if you're there this morning, listen, lean into it. Christ's example and his sacrifice and what he's done for you on the cross gives you confidence that you can know that it's serving a purpose and that he wants to give you authority um, uh, in a very real way in this life and also in the life to come. Secondly, what Peter rolls into is how does Jesus give us victory over sin? So we talk about how he gives us victory over suffering, but how does Jesus give us victory over sin? One primary thought here, okay? He, he gives us victory over sin by making sin completely illogical, by making it completely illogical. Now, let me, let me explain what I mean, okay? Because there's, there's many different um, senses in which he gives us victory over sin. Most foundational and most important, and at the heart of the gospel, is that we are justified, Okay, that when you believe in Jesus, you guys have heard me say this so many times, but it's the idea of a judge and a gavel, boom, coming down, not guilty. It is a legal declaration over your life that you are forgiven all your sins, washed, washed away. And in justification, the penalty of sin is paid for by his shed blood. And that is how we are born again. We come into the kingdom of God someday in heaven, we will be glorified, and glorification is not just that the penalty of sin is paid, but that the very presence of sin will be completely eradicated. It will not be there anymore, and so that's something we look forward to, and we know it's true because all those he's justified, he's also glorified. The Bible says very clear, clearly in the book of Romans. But we live in this time now where we are being sanctified. Where sanctification, sanctification is not a one-time deal; it is a process. It's a daily development that God is working in our life. And so when I th- I'm talking about how Jesus gives us victory over sin, I'm talking about sanctification type victory. I'm talking about day-by-day day victory in your life um, because of what he's done. And one of the ways, one of the truths that I believe Peter's trying to communicate here, that he gives us victory over daily sin is that if you have been born again, it now makes absolutely no sense at all for you to live in sin any longer. Guys, do you understand how insane sin is? Sin is complete madness. It is illogical. makes no sense whatsoever for those that know Jesus and have tasted of eternal life. Verse three, he says you know, no longer to live for, for human passions, but for the will of God. Then verse 3, for the time is, pa- the time is past, or for the time that is past, it, it suffices for doing what the Gentiles do. And then he goes on to list these specific sins. He said, look, you, you, we've spent enough time doing that in the past. And think about the logic of what he's saying. He's saying many of the people that he's writing to that are now Christians, that are now disciples of Jesus Christ, they one time, at one time, they lived in all these things sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatries, a flood of debauchery. But at one point in time, if they now know Jesus, which he's saying that they do, they cried out to God to deliver them from this mess that they were in, from this sin. And so he's, the, the logic of what he's saying is, if you've cried out to God to deliver you from this thing because you want to be delivered from it because you finally maybe tasted of the bitterness of what sin ultimately brings, and then God delivers you, it makes no sense to go back and do it any longer. Now, hear me: Does sin does it still as a Christian? Do I does it does it does it look good? Does it promise us good? Does it feel good maybe for a moment or for a little bit after you do it? sure all those things are true and that's why we give into it but it makes no sense to do it well then eric why do we do it i'll tell you why because there's a madman living inside of you there is a raging lunatic that lives inside of you and its name is sin and he lives in the part of you that is called the flesh or the old nature you believe me Maybe, okay, let's go to Paul. I feel like I need to prove this to you. You don't believe that you got a crazy person living inside of you, but it's true. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter seven. This is the apostle Paul. Raised the dead, planted churches, healed the sick. Himself was one time stoned and then God, God raised him and brought him back. Was caught up into the third heaven. Saw things that men are not allowed, permitted to that men are not permitted to speak. Chapter 7, verse 15 of Romans. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. There's the madman. Sin that dwells in me, in you, even in Paul. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin, the madman, that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he cries out, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He he, he asked this question, who's going to save me? Who's going to deliver me? From this madman that runs around inside of me, causing me to do the things that I do not want to do. And thankfully, Paul, and again because of the gospel, he doesn't just ask that question and then close the book. He answers it. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen? Let me try to sum this up. best i can what i'm trying to say here the gospel of jesus christ has made continuing in sin completely illogical but since we have a madman living inside of us who does not listen to logic then the most logical thing we can do is to daily surrender to the lordship of jesus and ask him to live his life through us you follow me Only Jesus Christ can defeat sin. And it is the power of His Spirit and His Word living in us practically that gives us daily victory over it. And I'm sure that in this room this morning there are many of us who are habitually over and over again caught in sins that we, that we don't like. That we Deep in the inner, in our inner man, we, we don't want to do it, but we keep on doing it. But the reason we keep on doing it is because we refuse to be honest about it, like Paul was, and we refuse to cry out with all of our might, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then all those who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Not just ultimately, not just in the justification way, but practically in the sanctification way, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, over and over again, crying out to God to put the madman that still lives inside of us under his feet. Sin is not logical, folks. I remember hearing a story several years ago about uh, a guy that drove across several states uh, with a corpse in the back seat of his car. And I'm not trying to be overly, you know, unnecessarily grotesque or morbid or anything. But so I was thinking about the story and I was thinking about it for an illustration as I was thinking about the truth here. And, and so I, I Googled that last night. Uh, come to find out, it wasn't just one guy that's done that. But it's happened a lot. People driving around with a corpse in their car. And I just wonder how many of us continue to drive around every day with dead stuff, dead stuff in our life. And it's completely illogical. Like, you find somebody like that, you find somebody with a body in the back seat or in the passenger seat or whatever, you're like, man, this, something's not, something's not right. And that's what Peter said. It, it's illogical, guys. Um. And I would say this to you, and I say this truly, truly in love, truly in love. But if sin, I, I get that we might all be caught in it because of temptation. But, it, but if sin still makes sense to you, if sin is logical to you, if sin makes sense to you, brother, sister, you're not born again. And I, and I say this to you in love because I think there are many who grew up in the church and just like me, back in high school, it made perfect sense. Why wouldn't I go to parties on Friday and Saturday nights and then go to church Sunday morning? Because all this is, is the club. You know, this is just something we do on Sunday mornings, but this is what we do on Friday and Saturday nights. Made perfect sense. But I had never tasted and seeing that the Lord is good. And I say that to you this morning, if you're here and, and you're like, no, yeah, that's, that's me and it makes perfect sense and I'm okay with it. I want to tell you that there is pleasure beyond what you've ever experienced through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It, is, it, it will make all the pleasure of this world taste like cardboard and ash in your mouth. And it is only through putting your faith and trust in Him by surrendering your life to Him, giving Him all that you will be able to taste and see that He is good. <laughs> Guys, let's not, let's not drive around anymore. Let's not spend one more day dragging dead stuff around with us. Amen? Worship to me. You can come up and we'll close because my last point here is really short. And I kind of jumped ahead of my notes and did it already but that's, I tend to do that a lot. So we talked about how Jesus gives us victory over suffering, victory over sin but I said the other area that we try to avoid is judgment. How does Jesus give us victory over the judgment, over judgment? He gives us the message of the gospel that Peter goes on here and he he says, with respect to this, their sin, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then he goes on, verse six, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does and again what is he talking about here let me break down verse 6 hang with me okay this is why the gospel was preached it's a it's a message guys it's not just good advice it's not just seven practical steps it's not just the next best self-help technique it is a message of good news that has happened already that the king almighty God came the God man Jesus he came in the flesh and 2,000 years ago, he hung on a cross and he died and he was buried for three days. But on the third day, he, the, the stone was rolled away. And he now lives forever. That is the good news of what he's done. And the next part of the good news is that it is only by simply trusting in him. As I've already said, like just simply crying out to him, to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God and these, these, these readers, these hearers here in Peter's original letter and, and, and us today, guys, it does not matter. It does not matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've lived your entire life, as he says, I believe in verse 4, in a flood of debauchery. It doesn't matter. The good news of the gospel is that no matter what the sin is, it has been conquered through the resurrected Jesus And if you will just receive him, if you'll just believe, if you'll just cry out, if you'll just have faith, if you'll just trust, if you'll just surrender, whatever the word you like, do it, but come to him and know that he is the victor. He is the one that is putting all this junk that's in this world, he is putting it all under his feet. And someday, It's true, man. Glorification, man, it's going to be completely eradicated. He will wipe away every tear from our eye. We will never again have to pray for a brother or a sister that God would see them through cancer. It'll be done. It's going to be over with forever. I know that that day is coming for me because I've trusted in Jesus. That's it. I cried out to him when I was 18 years old. I cried out to him, and he saved me. And brothers and sisters, he wants to save you too. And I just, I just end this morning just pleading with you that if you're here and you don't know Jesus, man, come to him. Please come to him. Please trust him. Let's pray. Father, I just, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you, Lord, that for those of us that are your children, that, man, we don't have to fear suffering anymore. There's a new day coming. It's temporary, and you've got purposes in it, and even if we don't see it, it doesn't matter. You will accomplish it. For it is you that is work, that is at work in us to carry out your pleasure, your will. Father, I pray that you'd give us a willingness this morning, a, a, a delight even, to right now in this moment, to even just be willing to just... Get rid of the corpse in the back seat if that's where we find ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would with joy come and that we would repent and again give you our lives. And Father, for those that don't know you as their Savior this morning, Holy Spirit, would you please just blow upon their hearts right now and let them trust you. Jesus, thank you so much for being so good to us. Thank you so much for being our Savior. And thank you so much that we get to worship you. And that we get to continue to sing, even now. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys-